Being a dad isn't always easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. I'm constantly improving myself to be the best dad I can be through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. As fathers, we pass on many things to our children, such as our mindset, our habits, our attitude, and what we've learned along the way. Each of these will shape who our children are and who they will become. The Warrior Dad's mission is to help you become the healthiest version of yourself, to hone your edge, and to live with purpose. My name is Jim Bartomey, and this is the Warrior Dads Podcast. Hey, before we jump into the interview, whether you're a longtime listener or a first-time listener, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm honored that you would choose this to listen to. Uh, in addition to that, thank you. I wanted to ask you two things. If you do like this episode or any of the other episodes you've listened to, could you leave a comment or a review or a rating? That would really mean a lot, and it really helps out the show a lot whether you're listening to it on iTunes or Spotify or Anchor or whatever platform, um, please take 20 to 30 seconds to leave a nice, honest review. And the second thing is that we can continue the conversation on Facebook and continue to connect and support each other over there in the Warrior Dads uh, private group. So um, if you're on Facebook, I'd really appreciate you to just you know click join and connect with other guys that are looking to become stronger, healthier, happier, better leaders, etc. Okay, let's jump into the interview. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in for another episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. Today I have Di Manuel with me. Di is a super dad dating his wife with a lead by example way of living and a contagious personality who is on a mission to positively impact 1 million role models around the globe to lead a functional fit life through education, encouragement, and community. He's an award-winning digital thought leader and author, distinguished Toastmaster, keynote speaker, former partner, and chief operating officer of a multi-million dollar retail company, and a sought-after lifestyle mentor and executive performance coach. Di knows the struggle of the juggle and keeps his health and happiness a priority. He models his work based on the five Fs, fitness, family, faith, and finances, with an overarching root of fun built on a rock-solid foundation of health. Di, thanks for coming on the Warrior Dads podcast. Ah, uh, thanks, Jim. I'm uh, I'm just honored to be here. I love what you're doing. I love the idea of Warrior Dads. Just just so you know, <laughs> like, I just I love it, man. <laughs> I just love it, and uh, so it's a real honor to be here. I, I just really appreciate the time today. Thanks, man. Appreciate you uh, reaching out, and glad we could connect and get you on the show. And we are uh, we are everyday warriors, right? So Absolutely. that's kind of the inspiration of the the warrior dad, and then also the mindset that kind of goes around, mm. around that. So thank you. How is it to uh, hear all that stuff in your bio written, uh, <laughs> read to you instead of just, you know, have it on your website? Yeah, it's, uh, well, to be honest with you, and I, I mean, we sort of chatted about it before we, we, we hit go, right? It was when I think about what matters most to me, and, and don't get me wrong, a lot of those things are aligned with my passion and my purpose and really how I feel fulfilled in, in life. But those first two things in the very first sentence, you know, the, the engaged dad, you know, as my kids will say, the super dad, <laughs> I, I like to think of myself as a super dad, but it's been qualified by them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then also dating my wife, right? Like they're, 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 it is language. Uh, I'm a big language guy. I, I, I mean, I look at how I speak to myself all the time and I'm like, oh, how can I do that a little bit more positively, uh, but also with intention, you know? And, and so that idea of dating my wife, uh, it, it, it 
comes because that's how we practice with each other. You know, like we're, we're trying to keep the relationship fresh at any given time because it, you know what it's like after you've been with someone for that long, like for myself, we're in our 21st year together. It's like, I mean, you get to know all the good, the bad, and well, sometimes they're really, really ugly. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but we still make a choice to date each other and surprise each other. And, 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 you know, that, that's something that we'll always strive to do is we're, as we're fully committed to get old and hang out on a beach together, watching the young people frolic. So uh, that's our intention together, you know? So, does she use the same language as you do she with does. The dating she her does. husband? Yes, she does. Yeah. And, and actually I have to be honest, like, uh, she, I heard her use it once and I was like, oh man, that is great, babe. I'd love that. Cause we used to always talk about that. I mean, we have our weekly date night and you know, as the kids got older into their teen years, it was like, oh, this is awesome. We can really, you know, we don't need the sitter anymore. We can have a little bit more flexibility. And so all of a sudden, you know, the, the options for what we could do as far as dating was concerned, uh, was also getting back to sort of our grassroots, you know, doing a lot more fun things together and, and uh, it was awesome because we definitely needed that for our relationship. You know, it can it can get stale. It really can, and if you're not willing to make an effort, <laughs> and yeah. and so that intentionality behind dating. Because if you think about it, what was it like when you started dating your partner, your wife? You know, like what was life like when you were in that period of dating, getting to know somebody? Right? Like it's it's exciting. And and, and I mean, can you remember back to that, Jim? Like, is it how how do oh, you yeah. remember those days? Yeah, it was very fun, you know, just, well, I mean, with no kids, of course, but yeah, yeah, just going wherever we wanted to and planning day trips here and there and yeah, getting to know the person and connecting yeah. and it was great. It's cool. So, mm -hmm. so now you sound like your kids are older. Yeah. They're soon and be, when did you, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Let me yeah. cut you off there, Jim. I was, I was going to say, now your kids are older. When did you guys implement this <laughs> uh, idea? Well, how old were your kids at that point? Yeah, I guess they would have been, I mean, we really got aligned with this probably six years ago, six years ago. So the kids would have been, they're soon to be 16 and 18. So I have two daughters and uh, they're actually 15, 17 now, but within the next few months, they'll, they'll both have their birthdays. So uh, I, I, I'm referring to them as they like to refer to themselves. I, I, I've heard them say, I'm 18 now. And I'm like, you're not 18 yet. <laughs> but uh, just yeah, exactly. you know how it goes, right? Um, but yeah, I, six years ago, you know, our, our life, and lifestyles. Well, we had a big change, big change. You know, I left a career of 17 years. My wife quit hers about a month after. And a couple months after that, we pulled the kids out of school and uh, gave away all our stuff. <laughs> what we wanted to take with us, we put in suitcases, put into the SUV. If it didn't fit, we got rid of it. And uh, we really just embraced a, a nomadic slash minimalist lifestyle. You know, we decided we wanted to start traveling and trying to live more as a full-time family. And, and so there was a lot of intentionality around that. And uh, mm -hmm. at that time, you know, we, we were doing new and exciting stuff almost daily. And uh, that's when it came up in a conversation, you know, it's like we're dating again. And, uh, and it just sort of always resonated ever since then. So that was six years ago. Yeah. Six years ago, six years ago. So what prompted that? <laughs> what prompted you to just start like you and your wife were just like, we need something different or like you just, you were, you wanted to leave your career mm -hmm. in that company after 17 years. And you're just like, yeah, let's, let's just go. <laughs> well, I got to be honest with you, Jim. I, I was very apprehensive and filled with a lot of fear and doubt uh, for a long time, uh -huh. for a long time before we finally made the commitment. And, uh, but if I think back, it was 11 years, just over 11 years ago, I, I had a big lifestyle change and, and 
you know, I, I used to struggle with alcohol and uh, it would often lead to narcotic use as well. Um, and, and at times doing things I'm not proud of, you know, I'm not going to deny the things that I've done, uh, which were really just out of character, out of integrity, uh, very much out of alignment. Uh, but you know, from an early age, I learned how to mask things by using things, you know, whether it be food when I was a teenager and morbidly obese and, and a whole another story to that. But, uh, you know, and then it, you were morbidly obese. I was as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh uh, we won't okay. get into the, the full gory details on that just yet, but, uh, early on I learned <laughs> that, Hey, you know, there's, there's ways that you can numb things. You can make yourself feel better momentarily and, and you can find that numbness if you will or that escape uh through at that time it was drinking video games and movies and and then uh or sorry i should say eating uh movies and video games when i was a teen and then you know as i got fit and healthy <laughs> I, I still realized i had some social anxiety i had a lot of stress and just overwhelm and and you know that morbidly obese teen uh the mentality was still there even though i was 17 a lot fitter a lot healthier on the outside, seemingly more confident, uh, but I would find myself in social settings and getting stressed out and, and struggling to meet new people. And I remember getting invited for once by the, the cool in kids, right? We all know that. Like, there's those people that you always see and it's like, oh, I hope they don't make fun of me. But then all of a sudden they talk to you and it's like, oh, they're asking me if I'm going to the party this Friday. And the, and the, they, we called it the grassy knoll in our small town, you know, <laughs> it's where the kids would go and bonfire and drink. And I'd never been invited. And so I went and I realized I'm very awkward here and, and very shy. I'm naturally, I'm an introvert, which is weird because I work as an extro, extrovert. But I, I realized that, you know, I have a couple of drinks in me. Well, I could talk to anybody here. You know, even the girls that I wanted to talk to, I can talk to them. Like, and, and so that was that, in, it was instilled in me early on that, wow, I can, I can mask some of these things that I believe are my limitations. You know, these things that I'm wanting to change and I can force a change in the moment by leaning on these exterior things. And uh, I carried that well into my 20s and into my early 30s, but it just, it, it, it escalated. Right? It became more frequent. And also, as my tolerance with alcohol improved, <laughs> I uh, would drink more volume. And uh, very often, I would drink to blackout. You know, I drink to go to sleep. And I, I had a nickname. It was Fun Guy Die. You know, like, I'm not a bad drunk. I'm a great drunk. I mean, if I can say that. I, <laughs> I mean, I was always the life of the party until I wasn't. <laughs> and uh, it would often end with somebody taking me home and uh, me not remembering how I did that. And uh that was just a norm, but I always believed that I deserved, like I, I'd earn those days. You know, it, it, when I think back and the stress I put on my family and, and some of my closest friends and even colleagues at that time, but I would justify my actions. You know, it's like, well, I work really hard. I perform really well. I'm a good dad, right? I provide for my kids. You know, I show up to events. Like I was always justifying my actions by you know, leaning into and using these things I should be doing anyways. Like, <laughs> like it's just part of being who I was, being a dad, being a husband, being a business owner. I mean, those are things that are come with that, you know, and, and, and yet I was using that as an, a reason to justify me going out and drinking and, and all this other stuff. And uh, well, eventually I, I came to a point where things changed. My wife challenged me. She sat me down one day after an all night bender. You know, I, I still don't remember how I got home that night. Somebody brought me home after uh, coming back from a party and it, it, you know, my, my habit gym. And uh, I don't know if you relate to this at periods in your life, but uh, I got really good at just, you know, turning off the cell phone. <laughs> oh, my phone died, baby. I'm sorry. I didn't know you were trying to get a hold of me. You know, like, Oh man, I was, I was, 
I was really good at making excuses and, and trying to deflect, you know, uh, my wife's concerns. And, and then she sat me down that one morning and, uh, gosh, she was looking at me and, and she looked at me really quite differently. Um, you know, up to that point of us being together, uh, you know, our kids were under the age of six at that time. And, and my wife's looking at me and, and the craziest thing is when I first met my wife and for as long as I could all remember in her early years, when she looked at me, it just instilled in me so much confidence and hope because I could tell the way she was looking at me. She saw just potential in me. She saw something that I couldn't see in myself, you know, and because a lot of my own self-belief was around social anxiety. People aren't going to like me. I'm not good enough. I'm still that morbidly obese fat kid. Even though I've lost the weight, I've gotten healthy and fit. I, I still felt like that kid. And uh, yet when she looked at me, she never saw any of that. She only saw good things and positive things and potential, saw who I could be and uh, who I would often say I was, right? Like this is where it gets interesting, right? We, we often will tell ourselves, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is how I show up. But then it comes time to actually follow through with the right actions. And uh, when those actions aren't matching up, what we're saying, whew, it creates a big void in us. And, and I just got really good at filling that chasm with, with stuff to distract myself from the hurt and the pain and the, the upset nature of how I looked at myself all the time. And uh, here's my wife sitting me down this morning, right? I'm hungover, just got back. And she's like, tell me, I, you know, this is not an environment I can raise our, our kids in anymore. Uh, you, you, this is not good for them. Like, this is not healthy. Words functional. Like, this is just, uh, you know, we didn't know the terminology back then, but there was clearly a codependent relationship there where we were enabling one another, but especially myself. Like, I was just taking advantage of a lot of, of things uh, based on who I... I trying to justify my actions, and, and I'm not going to. So don't take this the wrong way. And when it's listening to this, like, I... I was a really good guy, but I had my moments where I wasn't living into that. And, uh, and my wife, she saw this over and over again and she just hit her breaking point and she, she's a tinge of ginge, you know, natural red hair <laughs> and uh, she's fiery, <laughs> all the cliches and stereotypes of such with, uh, you know, uh, those are the tinge of ginge. I, trust me. She, she <laughs> fills that stereotype really well. Wears her heart on her sleeve but she's very honest and very direct and she doesn't sugarcoat things, especially with me. And uh, she called me out on some stuff that day. And, and, you know, after saying that she's going to take the kids away and, you know, we should just separate and a lot of tears were shed. And I realized, Oh my goodness, this is, this is it. This is not what I wanted. This is never what I wanted. And, and she asked me a question, Jim, she said, die. Are you being the type of man you'd want your daughters to marry? Being the type of man you'd want your daughters to marry. Hey, that song, that 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 phrase rung through my head like a song, right? You know, you get those songs, those little lyrics or choruses just stuck in your head. And it just kept going over and over again. And the craziest thing was I was looking at her in the eyes and I was like, I cannot truthfully tell you that you're not right. <laughs> you know, like I was like, you're right. I'm not that role model. I'm their first, like I'm setting the bar for what, a dad is. I'm setting the bar for what a husband is. I'm setting the bar. And, and I was setting it pretty low. And to be honest, if someone like me at that time showed up at my doorstep saying, hey, I'd like to come in to, to meet your ladies, I'd, I'd be like, no hell, no way in hell. Like, dude, you're not getting past the front door here. <laughs> like, and yet 
That's yeah. what he's showing up as. And, and so it, right then and there, it was the craziest thing. But just like when I decided to get healthy, it was in an instant, right? I made that decision. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something different. I don't know what it's going to be. It does scare the crap out of me because I, I <laughs> the fear of the unknown, man, it rears its ugly head pretty damn quick when you find yourself in that sort of a vulnerable situation. And, and yet I committed to one year, no drinking. I said, one year, I'm going to get rid of my crutches. No, I'm not going to just say no to it. I'm going to uh, just work on me because being in the fitness industry for so long in my entire life, I got really good at working on the outside, but I did very little to work on the inside. And I said, okay, for this next year, I'm going to work on me. I'm going to lean into who I've always said I wanted to be. And I'm going to start putting in some action and some steps to get me there. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. And to be honest, within the first couple of weeks, Jim, like I, I was very flustered and unsure because, uh, you know, I took away those crutches, as I said, and I realized, well, my, my, one of my legs is atrophied pretty good here. You know, <laughs> like metaphorically, I, yeah. I, I didn't know how to walk, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's when I, so where did well, you start? I, I started and I realized I needed support. And up to that point, I was the kind of person that was just like, I can do it on my own. I can figure it out. I don't need to share or tell anybody that I need help because that, that might be weak. You know, I don't want to be seen as being weak. And uh, it's amazing. All these just voices I had in my head that was limiting me. And I said, you know, enough of these voices. I, I need help. And I uh, found a psychologist started working with. Started working with a relationship counselor. Um, I even ha- had a fitness coach I started to work with just because I, even though I was a coach in fitness, I wanted my own coach to push me to give me the program. Cause I was like, I don't want to think about it. I want to show up and I just want someone to put me through the paces, you know? And, uh, hmm. that was, I, I spent a year just focusing on me, working on me. And then as I was working on me, I started to work and help others. And, and I found some great communities, you know, association. Oh, when people say, what was the one thing that really helped you the most of that, that process? And I was like, association who I was hanging out with regularly uh, because my normal sphere of, of friends, uh, I'll just tell you, as, as I was desiring more and more connection and deeper conversations, especially with other men, they were having nothing to it, do with it. Right. I mean, they'd invite me out to USC or to go golf again, but you know, you get a few holes in or a few rounds in and uh, there's no conversation there anymore. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it wasn't. And so it, it started to create a little bit of, awkwardness. And, and so I stopped getting invited and I was like, Oh man, well, I, I feel like I got no friends now. I got nobody to, to hang out with, no one to connect with. And so that's when I started looking for different communities to plug into. I found Toastmasters and it was, it changed my life and uh, people aren't aware. It's nonprofit helps people be better leaders as well as more effective communicators. I'm a big supporter of them and uh, they're everywhere. They're all over the world. And so anybody can plug into, but that was one community that really helped me a ton. But yeah, that, that was it. And, and so, sorry, Jim, I know I've gone on and on here, but I wanted to give you context because I changed so much in that one year that my focuses and the things that I wanted in life came in focus again and certain things, uh, my values like family. And I realized I was not living into that value and I wanted to start living into that more. My wife had a dream when we first met. She was a traveler. She always said, when our kids are a little bit older I, and, and you know we have a growing family, I'd love for us to be able to travel as a family. But it was something I always dismissed. I was like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. We'll have to wait till we're retired to do any of that stuff. you know. And maybe, maybe with our grandkids, we can do that stuff. you know. And, and I found myself just giving <laughs> excuses all the time. Like, but, but really d- being dismissive of some of the things that she said she wanted. And, and 
after that year, I was like, man, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to lean into more of that. I want to have more of those conversations. What would our life look like if we decided to change things entirely? How do we go about doing that? So I started asking these bigger questions, but instead of just skirting over them, I actually took time to reflect on it and answer it. And I eventually realized ultimately my, my path to lead me to more fulfillment, greater happiness and joy wasn't the path I was on, you know, working that career, building that company, it, it 10, 20 years down the road to reflect back and say, Oh yeah, I built that great. But remember we could have taken that risk and, and sort of moved away from that and gone, tried something completely different. And we traveled with the family. Like I just didn't want to have the regret of wishing that I did take action when I did it, you know, like it, it, it ultimately came down, like, what am I going to regret more? You know, and, and I would have regretted more not leaving that career to experience something completely different that was in alignment with some of my values. And, and that was it. And I didn't know how to do it. We didn't have like a lot of money in the bank. <laughs> it's not like we had this massive amount of cash flow coming in that could support that. We, we had to make some hard decisions to make it work. And, and we did. And it took us 20 months. You know, I gave 20 months notice at my career because I was in a very senior role. And after 17 years there, I mean, you can't just sort of walk in and say, hey, peace out. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to leave them high and dry. So I give 20 months. So over that next 20 months, I mean, we did a lot of planning, a lot of preparation and, and uh, especially psychologically, you know, like uh, all the other stuff, it's, it's just stuff, but, but prepping the mind for that kind of a shift, that kind of a change. Yeah. It takes a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. How did you guys support yourself while you guys were away? Well, fortunately for me, I started, building my own personal brand online. I mean, we're all brands, right? We all stand for something. And the way we show up on social is usually a reflection of that brand, or at least some of those brand promises and, and values. And, and so after I read Gary Vaynerchuk's very first printing of Crush It, and this is like 14, 15 years ago. No, was it that long ago? It must be that long ago. Because I think he was still doing Wine Library or he had just transitioned away from that. Either way, it was his very first book that he published. And I remember reading it on a flight from Vancouver to Toronto. And also, I, I, I scribbled down. I, it was over 10 pages of notes. You know, I, I'd scribbled down <laughs> going through his book. And I was like, man, this guy's onto something. You know, the economy is changing. And the way we connect is changing. And I wanted to, to make an impact. I wanted to offer value. I felt really drawn to, to always wanting to help people with their, their health, their well-being, their mindset, that making those big changes in their life because of that experience I had as a, as a teenager. It really influenced me, brought me into the fitness industry. You know, After going through that, I was like, oh, I can help other people do this now. And it makes me feel really good and fulfilled. And wow, and I can make money doing this? This is great. You know? And uh, so I fully committed to that. And, and, and yet... You know, I, I had started building this personal profile and brand and, and my blog and I've been consistently blogging for 14 years. And, and so all these things that I've been doing online a few years later, especially when we started entertaining the idea of, of completely switching and leaving our careers, I had a little bit of revenues coming in from different things I was doing online. Now, it didn't replace what I was making currently at my, my present career. But then when we started looking at lifestyle, the kind of life we want to be living versus the one that we were living. <laughs> and we started to really quantify it from a dollar and cent standpoint. It's like, well, if that's the life we want, like if you actually start by thinking and ask yourself, well, what's the kind of life we want to live? How do we want to show up? How do we want to be as a family? Like, where do we want to live? Or, or do we want to live anywhere? You know, when you really start asking yourself, what's the life we want? And you start designing it and you get that sort of vision in your mind of what you would love it to look like. 
you can start to reverse engineer from there. You can start to make decisions that were, are ultimately going to lead you towards that. Now, it never showed, I'll tell you right now, like every vision we had, it never showed up exactly as we envisioned it. A lot of times it was better, okay? Like it really was. It was better because it was happening. But we downsized our lifestyle so we could upsize our experience and our time as a family. And uh, that, that was the biggest thing that really impacted us. You know, we, we drove everywhere. Like we would use our SUV. Sure, we put a lot of mileage on it, but that was our busy, biggest expense along with food. And we knew enough people. We, we could couch surf. We could camp. We could stay at some Airbnb, some motels, hotels. Uh, and then we had family in the States too. So that's where we went first. We went to the U.S., drove all over the States and, and then back up to Canada, back to the States. Uh, my father was ill, so we didn't want to leave North America. And uh, after he passed, uh, we were like, okay, we can go overseas. So we went to Bali <laughs> and we lived there for two and a half years because anybody that's been to Bali or Indonesia or Southeast Asia, uh, cost of living is a little bit lower. Quality of life, pretty high for the dollar. <laughs> and we went there for three months and we, after three months, we're like, you know, what would it look like if we wanted to stay here? Do you think that's something that we could entertain? Do you think we could do that? And we started looking at it and we're like, yeah, I think we could do this. And uh you know, over those five years of traveling, I, I just kept building stuff online. And and that's where I, I was able to monetize enough to allow us to sustain that lifestyle of, of just being a full-time family and traveling. And I made a lot of mistakes, Jim. Like I, I did. And, and, you know, if I could go back, uh, would I buy Bitcoin? Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's some other things too, you know, like uh, wish I, I wish I had taken that a little bit more seriously or had a little bit more foresight. But you know what? Overall, things went as well as they could. And uh, we really made a, had a fun time traveling for those five years. But, you know, the kids were getting older and we always told them that if they wanted to go back to Vancouver to finish high school, we would honor it. And uh, they played that card on us just over a year ago. So uh, we were like, darn, really? You want to go back? You sure? And, and they were like, yeah, they wanted to finish high school in Vancouver. And uh, so here we are. We're back in Vancouver. Did they drop that on you? Did they drop that on yes. you while you guys were in Bali? Yes, they did. And and my family came oh, okay. back six months before I came back. Because I at that point, you know, after being in Bali a couple of years, I had a lot of stuff happening in the country. I, I had a kita so I could actually work within the country as well. Um, so I was doing events, retreats, uh, speaking engagements, uh, all, all that stuff, which also complemented what I was doing uh, online. And, uh, and and then they laid that card on us. I was like, man, after two years here, I'm just starting to get traction in all these areas. And you guys want to go back? And I was like, okay, well, I can't go back yet. I've got all these commitments. So they went, came back six months before me. And I came back uh, a year ago, almost a year ago to, to the day. Uh, I came back from Bali and, uh, it was all right before COVID happened. It's amazing how things just work out because <laughs> I didn't move because of COVID. I had a lot of friends in Bali that went back to their home countries because of the pandemic, but that wasn't actually what instigated our decision. You know, it's, uh, things worked out uh, pretty well for us. So you guys were living, you know, like you, like you say, as yeah. a full-time family yeah. for six years, how were your, how were your daughters <laughs> doing education? Was it like a, a homeschooling oh, system that you had to abide by? Or uh, have you ever happened? tried teaching your kids? How did kids? that work? Have you ever tried teaching your kids? What's that? Have you ever, like when I mean like academics? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. When the pandemic was... hit, then it was a lot of us coaching our son, you know, teaching our son and he's now in third grade but it was you know the, the end of How'd second grade it? last or year has it been so far have you enjoyed the experience <laughs> i'm just yeah. uh it had yeah. it had its ups and downs i mean like i think because 
um, you know, you might have to answer a couple questions up until that point. Now your girls are a lot older. Yes. I'm dealing with, you know, second grade and now third grade issues and that kind of level of math and all that. But I, I, you know, once my wife and I kind of identified how our son learned the best or, you know, what approach, you know, took, it took to have yes. him understand the content, it was a little bit easier, but I mean, we have one, you have two. So uh, yeah, I mean, well, is that what you're getting it at? Is it was pretty challenging. challenging. And, and I think, you know, to be completely transparent, uh, you know, we had the best of intentions. Like we bought all the curriculums. <laughs> we registered for the online support and the tutors and the courses. Uh, and we got about four weeks into our travels. And my wife and I, you know, we just realized we're like, our kids can't learn from us, <laughs> not in this way. And we are horrible teachers. Uh, and so we made a decision to pivot a little bit from the, the way we were doing their education to life learning, <laughs> or as we say, road schooling. And we had connected with a lot of different communities. And, and it's pretty amazing. So if there's people listening to this, they're like, man, I'd really like to travel with our family or have an extended trip. Like there are so many communities out there. Like my wife was the one that was always dripping on me. It's like, Hey, listen to this podcast. Listen to this guy. He quit his job after X amount of years. So he could go travel with his family. And then they, this is what they do. And here's the story. And, and so my wife was always dripping these episodes on me. Right. And I'm always thinking, man, these guys are crazy. I don't know how they could do that. I can never do that. I can never do that. And, and until she wore me down, I was finally thinking like, well, maybe I could, maybe I could. Cause I was doing all that inner work. Right. And I started thinking, wow, geez, am I limiting myself by just staying in this career? Is there other things I'd rather be doing? And, to be honest, there was. And uh, so here we are as parents trying to educate our kids and they're getting frustrated. They're not able to keep up. And when I say keep up, maintain a schedule <laughs> uh, that was uh, feasible. And so we made an agreement as a family because there was a lot of frustration, a lot of tears shed. I, I cried. <laughs> you know, like It was like, this is harder than we thought. And so we, we would start leaning on some of the communities to ask what they were doing and, and what other people were doing. And, and we started to learn that, you know, when you look at the actual main curriculums, like a lot of what we could experience and, and check the boxes off could be done in our travels. You know, like we can go to museums, we can go to national parks, we can do our own activities, you know, physical activity. Like there's ways to check off a lot of the, the usual pieces that the schools can do for us. And we can do that as parents quite easily, especially us being traveling. But the core academics we realized that, you know what, guys, you try to keep up on your reading, just keep reading. So fortunately for us, our kids like to read. And we would often say, if you're going to watch any movies, put the subtitles on anyways, because it, again, reinforces that reading. <laughs> so we're, and also our kids were into Minecraft, which was awesome. And because Minecraft, I, I really think it's a, it's a wonderful, I mean, if my kids are going to be online playing games, I don't mind them playing Minecraft. I mean, they play other stuff too, like Starter Valley and all that stuff. But uh, Minecraft was great because it, it involves certain other skill sets that we felt would be valuable and, and they have been. And uh, we knew that when we put them back into school, we would do condensed tutoring. And what that means is like, we would just hire specific tutors that would work with them quite a bit up front for a short period of time to get them caught up because they were resilient enough. They were good learners, you know? So what I'm saying right now, this may not resonate for everybody with their families, but we learned this with our family. They were good learners. The kids could learn if 
given the right types of, of support. And uh, we just realized my wife and I, we weren't great support teachers, you know, for that kind of thing. So yeah, that's, and it worked out, you know, my kids are back in school now for a year and um, they're, they're straight A students, you know, they're excelling, they're doing great. And uh, even with the nature of the pandemic and half their classes being in classroom and half being online, they, they've done really, really well. And I, I like to think that's because they've, they were the ones pushing to go back to school. Like, Jim, we only left Bali because our kids mm-hmm. said, you know what, we'd like to go back to, to, to Vancouver to finish our school. We want to go into high school. We want to have that high school experience. You know, my kids were like watching, I forget what that show is. Was it Riverdale? <laughs> you know, like, I, <laughs> they watched Riverdale. And I'm like, wow, is that what high school's like? <laughs> I'm like, that's not what high school's like. But, you know, they get in their mind, they're like, I want a high school experience. I want to have a locker. <laughs> you know, like, it was the funniest thing, man. It was just this, <laughs> just this minor stuff. And, uh, but we wanted to honor that. I mean, who are we to, 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 take that away from them so uh we came back and uh yeah so they they did they came in and they had to do some well my one daughter we actually put both of them into um learning centers in bali it's really cool because in bali even though it's in indonesia it's a bit of a bubble there because it's it's propped up quite uh, well a lot by the tourist uh industry i mean it's really what keeps bali going is the fact that there's so many tourists that come in every year and uh, there's a lot of expats that live there. And because of that, they, there are options from a schooling standpoint. There's private schools that are international schools, which are, are pretty costly. It, it's, it, it's not cheap. Uh, I mean, you're still spending anywhere from 10 to 20,000 US a year to put your kids into school there. But then they have these things called learning centers, which are, are, are less money. Um, but they still follow like the, like my daughters are following the Oxford uh, curriculum and uh, that was offered by the teachers there and they would have um, tutors and teachers that would lead a curriculum, regular classroom, but it would be a bunch of parents bringing their kids in similar to us, you know, expats or travelers and they plug their kids in and, and they'd have different kids doing different grades even like my daughter's class, there's 35 kids there, but there was from grade eight all the way up to grade 12. And, uh, but it was neat. Wow. Yeah, but it was English speaking. Yeah, English it was speaking. all English speaking. But they did take Bahasa class as well, which is uh, one of the main languages in uh, in Indonesia, and uh, so they had that little bit. So they were learning uh, the the local dialect and, and language. Uh, but then they had all the other traditional courses, you know, their maths and their sciences and uh, the Englishes and the literature. So, um, but they did that for one year in preparation for us to come back to Vancouver. And so when they came back to Vancouver, yeah, they did some, some tests and uh, they, they did great. They, they just went right back into where they would have been normally um, had they, we stayed in Vancouver. So we, we were fortunate, like our kids were really good learners and they had some good support. Um, I, and I know based on some other stories I've had with other traveling parents, they haven't had similar experiences. So just realize what I'm sharing right now, this is my experience. Uh, I have seen other people with this, but do your due right. diligence. <laughs> don't make my story. Maybe if it inspires you to, to start looking in, it's great. I don't have all the answers. Um, my wife's the better one to speak to. So uh, if anyone wants to reach out, they have questions of this, I will direct you to my wife. She's got a document she created on her phone, kept putting in all the resources over our six years together. I, I just, I'm, I've told her, I'm like, you just need to write an article and put all these resources in there for anybody that wants to travel as a family. Cause you've, you've got it all there. You've cataloged everything that we used over six years, which is, it's, pretty long but if anybody reaches out i'm happy to put you in touch with her so she can give you a copy of that yeah that's actually a great resource it it's sounds pretty like. cool I mean, it's great it's, it, it, yeah and even yeah. on google maps you know she was always pinning all the restaurants like i mean it's she put a lot of time into it, but she was doing it on the fly which was great you know i'm driving anyway so she's on her phone doing stuff and uh, uh or entertaining the kids and um yeah it's it's a pretty cool resource uh, and, and we've got one for bali and then we got one that was for more of our north american travels but uh 
uh, yeah. Anyways, I'll just throw that nice. out there. <laughs> Yeah. So you're doing all this yeah. work on yourself, right? I mean, right. leading up to this point too, you were doing a lot of your work on yourself for that year. And so in talking about the travels, I heard about this 10 <laughs> day yeah. Vipassana meditation retreat that you did in Thailand, silent oh, meditation retreat yeah. in Thailand. <laughs> so when, when did this happen? Was this like, you know, in your six months when you didn't come home from Bali and you just, pit stopped in thailand to do this 10-day meditation or was this actually on your journey of trying to you know better yourself yeah thanks jim it's uh well it's been an well (laughs) you know thanks jim because it's the way you framed it actually is perfect because this just to frame it like a journey like this sort of personal development journey uh if you will or or at least going inward uh started like i said 11 years ago and it, i've maintained it i just because what's super interesting is as you start to develop your mindset specifically right and and you can probably speak to this really well as too jim uh, just from following you on social and seeing what you're doing and what you speak and i mean just i, I love your interview style too and the way you ask questions like it, i i see you just delivering so much value and being able to support people and and that's an amazing skill and it is a skill you know it's one that we either practice or we don't and i find that personal uh, you know personal development Thank is you. very much like one of those skills and, and sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there uh, but, <laughs> but i was gonna say it, it takes work right and and Personal development, once you start to see results Definitely. and you start to, to, to see your perspective shift and where you used to find yourself limiting oneself, like I would be very quick to say, no, we can't do that or no, that's stupid. Like I would be very dismissive. And when I started asking myself, well, why am I so dismissive at times? And a lot of the times it's just based on fear, based on my own inner belief systems, you know, and rather than just exploring, like, is this even possible? Could I do that? I would limit myself by saying, no, I can't do that. No, that's impossible. That's dumb. Like I would just dismiss it so I wouldn't feel bad, right? Like I could have these excuses to protect myself. And as I was expanding and going through all this work, I started realizing, why am I limiting myself all the time? Why am I so quick to say, no, I can't do that? Maybe I can. What would life look like if I did? You know, like what would it look like for my family? So as you start that process, it's pretty contagious, right? Like, because your world starts to shift. It starts to change. And, and things start to happen. And as it starts to happen, it's like, well, would that have happened otherwise? Maybe, maybe not. I, I'm definitely much more receptive to say yes to it. Like that, even the conversation with my wife to, to leave a career of 17 years, like I left, we were very comfortable. Let's just put it that way. And, and we were willing to completely 180 it without even knowing <laughs> what's plan B. It's, it's a pretty big change. And, and yet because of that inner work that we've been doing, I was like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen, we're going to run out of money. We got family that loves us and they got couches. So we got places to stay. We're never going to be without a roof over our head. We're employable. We can come back. We can start again. I mean, that was the worst case scenario for us. Because, you know, the other stuff that comes up is like, oh, my family could get hurt. There could be something dangerous. You know, that, that can happen in Vancouver too. You know, like it's it's not like it's unique for us as a traveling family. And uh so yeah, that that was sort of that process that we started to embrace, and um, I'm getting so off tangent here, Jim. I'm sorry. I, I, where were we going with that again? Like, I I know yeah. I, I know you're oh, bringing yes, this Vipassana. back around to the Vipassana. Thank you. Okay, retreat in Thailand. I I had a coach as well as <laughs> yeah. a mentor, and and 
one of them and and they were really big into meditation They're always talking about it and i like meditation but i'm i'm someone that would be like five ten minutes you know like i'll take five minutes to just do some breathing and i'm usually going to do some stretching at the same time you know like is it just sitting still and closing my eyes and breathing i was just like come on really <laughs> you know, like, i just i struggled with it and i found it really really hard and yeah yet i kept meeting people that we're talking about these just profound experiences that they'd uh, achieved uh, or experienced based on committing to a regular practice of meditation. So I always admired it. I was like, man, I really wish I could have that too. And because it sounds awesome, sounds wonderful. I, I, I see all the scientific data out there and the reports talking about all the benefits of meditation. And okay, we all agree it's a good idea, but but how do you do it? <laughs> you know, like, how, do, how do I do this and do it consistently? And, and so I had a another person I bumped into and then another one and then a third person over a period of about six, seven weeks and through different networks that, that, that I was plugged in with in Bali. And all of them had just had this Vipassana experience. And I was like, what's a Vipassana? And they're like, well, it's a 10 day silent retreat. I'm like, well, how's that work? He's like, well, for 10 days, you pretty much sit on a pillow and meditate. And I'm like, that's it? Yep. Like, can I exercise? Can I go for walks? Can I read and journal? And they're like, nope. No electronic, like it, literally you, you wake up in the morning, you're meditating. There's no contact with anybody else. They give you one meal a day. Like you're basically a monk for, for 10 and a half days. And, uh, I was like, that sounds really stupid. <laughs> I, I, I gotta be honest with you. I was like so negative. I was like, that's dumb. Like that's what it was with the first person. I'm like, Hey, better you than me. That sounds crazy. There's no way I can do that. So that was my default. Right. So all of a sudden, you know, I've been doing all this work trying to sway myself from, looking at things from a perspective like, well, what if, you know, what would it look like to right away? I was dismissing it. I was like, no, that's dumb. There's no way I could do that. Like just, it was, and it's funny because those old habits are hard to kill. Right. <laughs> and so here I am and I'm like, okay, by the time I have this third conversation, I'm like, I'm not someone that goes into all the, like, listen, I, I, I am someone that's, it is a bit of a realist and I'm, a, I'm pragmatic as well. And, and, you know, some of the woohoo stuff that's out there, especially living in Bali, I'll tell you that there's a lot of the woohoo, you know, like I've been to some uh, events uh, where you sit around a fire and you literally howl at the moon and I gaze into your fellow man's eyes. And, uh, you know, I've been to part of these men's circles, which is way outside my comfort zone, <laughs> but I embraced it. I tried it. And, uh, <laughs> And so I've been around that kind of idea, like this, this whole idea of the law of attraction and being able to manifest things and the universe wants to, to, to serve us if we let it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just being honest, Jim, you know, it was something that didn't always resonate with me yet. Three people over a period of about seven weeks, all talking positively about this experience. And it wasn't an area that I wanted to, to, to be better at. I wanted to be a better meditator and let alone, I just wanted to be a consistent meditator. And so I was like, I looked at my wife and, and it's because she's always my sounding board, right? I'm like, you know what? I think I'm supposed to do this Vipassana thing. She's like, okay, well, let's go on the website. Let's find out how you can do it. And I was like, oh, uh, uh okay. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't expecting her to be like, okay, let's do it. Let's get you booked into one. I was like, well, do you want to do it too? And she's like, hell no, <laughs> but, but, but you can do it. And, uh, and that's what I love about her, right? Like, she's like, yeah, go for it. Like, cause she's just seen so much growth in me over these last 11 years. So she's excited about me doing any of this kind of stuff because it always comes back and it benefits my family too. 
as much as it benefits me and her, but it benefits everybody I'm connected sure. with because I, I always shift. I change slightly. And uh, so here I am. I, I, we went on the website. Cool thing about Vipassana, it's free to go to. And there's Vipassana centers all over the world. So uh, over the world, if you go to Vipassana.org, they've got a whole directory of all the different centers, like these meditation centers. And uh, sorry? They didn't charge you? No, there's no charge. They didn't because charge you? It, now it's, it's non-secular, even though Vipassana, when you start to research it, you'll find that uh, it has a very close tie to Buddhism. And the reason is, is it's believed that this right. is the form of meditation that Siddhartha used when he became the enlightened one or the Buddha, you know, when he was sitting under that tree and just kept sitting there until something happened, you know, it was believed that it was the passion. was the meditation style he was, he was using. So, you know, Buddhists have really adopted into their, their system, if you will, um, their belief systems. Uh, but these centers work from a non-secular place. So they just want to make it accessible to anybody, but they work on donations only. So after you've completed your 10 day Vipassana, they, they of course take you to the gift shop and uh, they give you an envelope and they say, Hey, if you want to pay it forward and be able to, if you want to donate money, here you are, you, you're welcome to, and this will help continue to fund other people in the future to come experience this as well. And so I was just so impressed by that. I was like, really? Mm -hmm. Like, legit and and uh and and so that's how it works yeah so anybody can do a vipassana you you just have to be able to ensure that you got about 11 days and i and i recommend actually make it more like 16 because you're going to want some buffer after you're done <laughs> you do not want to rush right back into life because what i experienced in those 10 days was was life shifting you know, like it was really hard the first three days because literally you, you wake up at 4.30 in the morning. There's a big gong that goes off. <laughs> you're getting out of bed. You're getting dressed and you have to be in the meditation hall by five and you do your morning. Well, some, some, center, some centers or, are. Some work? centers are more dorm style and they're always segregated. So you'll have men separated from women. And, uh, and I loved it because I got a bus in Bangkok that drove us, you know, three hours north to the center. And there was, it was a mixed bus load, right? And uh, up near the front is this older Thai couple. And uh, they must have been 80s, 90s, right? They're a little cute couple holding their hands. You know, you can just see still in love and just this must be something that's regular for them, you know? And because they got off the bus, it was like they were old hacks at this. Like they basically kissed each other, waved goodbye. She went in the the women's entrance. He went in the men's entrance, and they wouldn't see each other again for eleven days. You know, like I was like, "See ya, okay, see you after." And and I was just so inspired by that. I was like, "Wow, that's kind of <laughs> cool." And and so they usher you in. They give you this little orientation, and then they say, "Okay, effective from seven p.m. onward, you're taking a vow of silence, no speaking." And they even refrain from making eye eye contact, no other touch of any other individuals. It's really an individual experience, and. You get into the meditation hall that next day. They teach you Vipassana. The first three days, all they want you doing is focusing on the air in and out and really trying to focus on the hairs, you know, under your nose, basically. It's like they're trying to isolate the sense to that one area. Right. And I was like, this is crazy. For three days, it's all I kept hearing over and over again. Okay, breathe in through your nose. Focus all your attention on that area right below the nose. And, you know, they go through this whole spiel and it's over and over again. And you're just... Uh, well, they get so to that not later. the belly. <laughs> the first three days. Okay, because yeah. that's really how it originally was through the nose, and then as as Buddha started to travel and all that kind of stuff, right. and then he started to focus on the belly, and that's actually why yes. even the statues of Buddha have changed. When you see them like portrayed as an Adonis in certain areas with the belly in, uh, belly and chest out, 
and then he's got a very big belly because he was focusing so much on the belly. Exactly. Part, yeah. Spot on, Jim. And and but for the first. Yeah. I'm familiar oh, with it because I've listened yes. to Osho tapes and things like that, and I have his, I have Osho's autobiography book and things like that. Oh, so yeah, gosh. I'm, I'm yeah. So, and I mean, and if you understand a traditional vipassana is actually 60 minutes in the morning, 60 minutes at the like basically it's an hour in the morning, hour at night kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it bookends your days, and uh, which is another conversation because I did not maintain my two hour a day commitment to vipassana <laughs> meditation, um, but I did learn. And what I experienced was just this incredible ability to be able to hone uh, my attention inward to what I'm feeling, what I'm sensing, but also be able to recognize some of my emotions as they're happening. So as they refer to this, you know, mindfulness, just that uh, awareness that we have about ourselves. And for me, I, that was something I, I didn't normally have a buffer, <laughs> you know, like uh, it was instantly if something would happen that triggered me, it was like right into reaction mode. And for the first time in my life, after this 10 day experience, I mean, I remember coming back to, to our home, you know, I stayed uh, in Thailand for about five days before I returned because I knew I was not going to go back into everyday life with my family again. I needed some time just to be on my own to sort of decompress from that experience and, and process things. And, uh, and then I got back and, and my family, my, my youngest daughter, she's pulling my wife aside and she's like, uh, is daddy okay? <laughs> you know, because the normal things, you know, sometimes they're teenage girls and they would have their friends over and they get pretty loud, pretty quick. And, and often I would be the guy would be like, Hey, can you guys tone it down? You know, like I, I would just right away, nothing. They weren't getting a rise out of me. <laughs> like I was just like super chill. Just, just like, just enjoying the moment, enjoying being present with them. And, and, uh, they were all just like, Whoa. Dad needs to do more of these Vipassanas. <laughs> it was really, really quite a, a nice experience. But I myself just found it very calming. And I still maintain meditation practice, but I, I don't do Vipassana style of meditation, you know. So, uh, but it opened my eyes to mm -hmm. just that there's so many different ways to do it. And, and I'm not going to be prescriptive and say, do it like this. Uh, but if you need support and you're someone that recognizes you want a little bit of that, a Vipassana retreat, is definitely a great option. It is a big commitment though. And, I, and I, I let people know that. I mean, it's it's like two weeks out of your life, right? And and I do recognize that's a big commitment for, for a lot of people. And, and so I feel very fortunate I had that opportunity. Is it something I'm going to repeat? Um, I've done many ones. I've done little three-day Vipassanas because after you do the 10-day, you can go to any center and you can do three-day ones or five-day ones. But everybody has to start with a 10-day, the 10-day course. Mm. And uh I, I highly recommend it. You know, it, it's uh, it's 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 quite the experience. I go into more detail about it. I, I've got a couple articles on my website if people uh, care to to read more or learn more about it. And I also got a, a speech I did at uh, one of my Toastmasters groups where I talked about the experience in, in greater detail. So there's some resources. Anybody that's interested, there's there's more to the story. But uh, th those are the highlights, anyways. That's yeah, awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Die. This was great, man. Um, I, I can't, I can't let cool. you go yet because we have these 10 questions to get through, but I really appreciate everything that you shared. I mean, that was, that's been an amazing journey. So from, from where you were before and everything that you struggled with, even from, you know, childhood, adolescence on into adulthood and now to the person you are today and the things you've overcome and things you've helped do for your family. I mean, it sounds as, you know, like you said, everything that you're doing for yourself. It's not only helping you, but it's helping 
really everybody in your life and more specifically your wife thanks, Jim. and yeah, two it's, it's, daughters. So that's amazing. Ah, well, thanks. It's a uh, very inspiring stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, I often at times, I, I just want to say, I appreciate the, the little trip down memory lane, as they say, because uh, I, I sometimes forget, you know, just what's happened over the last few years. Like, I've learned and experienced more, I, I believe in the last five years or six years, I guess, if we, I mean, this COVID year was different. <laughs> uh, but the five years previous to that, I had grown more in those five years yeah. than, than I had in the previous decade quite easily, you know, like it, it just, just by submitting myself to, to a process of wanting to constantly learn and to grow and, and to constantly just ask myself questions that I don't know the answers to. Right. Like I, I, I ask myself questions all the time that I don't know the answer to in the moment, but subconscious gets to work, right? We ask ourselves questions. The brain wants to find the answers. It really does. We want the dopamine hit, you know? So, so it's being able to ask ourselves the right questions and keep asking them and not out of frustration that we may not know the answer, but, but feeling confident enough that if we keep asking the questions, something's going to show up. Something's going to trigger us. We're going to start to figure it out, but, but it is a process. And, uh, uh, thank you for, for just recognizing, yeah, it's been a hell of a journey for me, but, uh, at no point in time have I felt that it hasn't been worth it. It's, it's been worth it every step of the way. Yeah. You know, one thing I hear as you're talking and from listen to what you were saying before, mm -hmm. and you mentioned yeah. the word old habits or the, the two words old habits, it sounds like you were able to kick mm -hmm. a lot of the excuses that you were making for yourself or, mm -hmm. you know, bringing up in your head it sounded like you were allowed to let go yeah. of that. Is that just through awareness of making excuses or was there something that allowed yeah. you? Cause I think a lot of people struggle with that, with making excuses. I think, you know, even it, it probably starts when we're kids, you know, making excuses for why you didn't do this or why you didn't do that or why you didn't clean your room or, you, you know, whatever it is. And we start making excuses. And if we're not really um, taught, how to think mm. a different way or how to kick that habit early, then it just continues to grow and be, we become very good <laughs> at making excuses because we're practicing yeah. it, you know, daily, weekly, whatever. So was that just through awareness that you were able to stop making those excuses? Definitely was part of it. You know, I, I think there's actually two, two really big things that, that were quite instrumental and in, in making excuses that, if we raise the habit, it's always trying to stress on our, so just recognizing some of the patterns that aren't serving us, you know, patterns that are actually pulling us away from some of the goals or things that we want, you know, they actually make it harder to achieve those things. And it's becoming aware, becoming mindful and seeing those habits happening in the moment. And so that became the new habit, <laughs> you know, was just recognizing when I started to make excuses and, and, asking myself, well, why am I making this excuse? Is this true? Is this real? Or is this just me trying to deflect something else? And, and so that was number one, you know, just becoming aware of how often I would make excuses or limit myself before even uh, trying or, or even thinking that I could try. And then two, um, I started to ask myself, you know, can I, if I start doing more things that I, I know I'll never regret doing, what would that look like? And what I mean by that is if, for those that are listening, like think about this, <laughs> have a beautiful green, lovely, full of vegetables, maybe some lean protein, like a, a cedar plank salmon, you know, just a beautiful salad. Let, let's just say that's your lunch. 
Well, come two or three o'clock in the afternoon, you're not thinking to yourself, you know what? I really regret having that salad for lunch. <laughs> you know, like it, I've never heard from anybody, any of my clients that I work with, people that I know in my communities, I've never heard anybody say, you know, I'm really regret eating healthy. Like we just don't, we don't regret eating healthy and it, it gives us an instant sort of boost, you know, uh, right down to the chemical level. Like we, we're nourishing and enriching our body by making certain decisions on what's on our fork, right? What's in our glasses. And, and so I started to ask myself, well, what other areas, what are the things that I know I'll never regret doing? Like working out. I never, ever say to myself, man, I regret exercising today. Never. I never think that. At the end of the day when I'm going to bed, I'm thinking, what am I grateful for doing today? I'm never going to sit there and say, you know, I regret going and working out. I regret having that thing for lunch. I regret having that great conversation with my kids. You know, like, and, and so with that in mind and that awareness of, of this idea of regret or, or doing things that you know you'll never regret doing is a nice way to sort of filter some of the habits that you know are really good habits to have versus maybe some habits that, well could do with a little massaging or maybe in some cases be cordoned off and put somewhere else, <laughs> never to be seen again. Uh, but that that's two little things that I found really helpful uh, for me and, and really one, identifying my habits, but then two, also aligning more with the habits that I want to, to enrich and, and do more repetitively, eventually developing into what I believe becomes lifestyle. You know, like if we do something often enough and it does. It becomes automatic. We don't even think about it anymore. It's not even really a habit anymore. It's just the way we live our life. It's just unfortunate that sometimes the way we live our lives isn't truly conducive to what we really want. You know, what's going to bring us the most amount of happiness and joy and, and fulfillment. Uh, so yeah, those, I, hopefully that's useful or, or somewhat helpful. Yeah, that was great. That was a great explanation. I was just very curious about that because it was just something I took away from it, you know, about the excuses. And then I, it just sounded like you just, <laughs> I try not to, anymore. Hey, listen, I'll so, tell you right now, like, there's still every once in a while, I get those excuses in my head, you know, they do, they, they show up. I mean, we all deal with that. We all have the inner critic. We have those inner voices that will be very quick to criticize us, knock us down a notch, dismiss certain things that we may feel aren't necessarily attainable. You know, we limit ourselves before we've even tried a lot of the times. And it's, it's just, becoming aware, become conditioned to recognize some of those thoughts and challenge them. Don't, don't let them just slip by and, and accept them. Challenge them, push back on it. The way I look at it is like, if someone came to my daughter and started speaking to her the way I speak to myself sometimes, I would not stand for that for a moment. So why am I allowing for it for myself? You know, why, why should I be so accepting of myself and my own ability to, to criticize and limit myself, you know, when I wouldn't allow that for anybody I love and care for deeply, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, so, so that's sort of how I position right. in my own mind to, to help me through the process of trying to, you know, recalibrate <laughs> very regularly. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> very nice. Yeah. You just, I like how you just tied it all back in <laughs> to the very beginning part of the conversation with your wife asking you about, are you being the man yes. that you want your daughters to marry? So that's, that's kind of like the question. It really was. Turned on, it really turned was. everything around Spot for on, you. Jim. Like. It, I mean, had that conversation yeah. not happened, uh, I could be, I, I know I, we wouldn't be talking today. I know fully Jim, there's just no way. I just, my life would be very, very different if that conversation didn't happen. So uh, every day I'm grateful for it. As hard as it was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life was having that conversation. 
but it was the most pivotal thing that's ever happened in my life. And uh, yeah, so and it's interesting how sometimes yeah. some of the best things come out of the hardest things. <laughs> so, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, she, hats, she hats deserves a wife. lot of hats. <laughs> yeah. you know? And uh, I'll, I'll give her as many as she wants. You know, <laughs> if she asks, here you go, baby. Another hat, another hat, another hat. That's, uh, yeah, every day I, I, I'm very grateful for that. So, so, so thank you. Thank you. I'll let her know you said that. <laughs> she'll, be, she'll be happy to hear. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Di. As uh, as with every episode, we end with ten questions, which are inspired okay, by James let's do it. Lipton. You ready to go? Let's do it. Uh, number one. Well, who is your hero? You know, when I think back, to be honest, like before I was ten, uh, it would have been my parents. You know, early on in life, it was definitely my parents. Like I, I gained a lot of awareness and. Uh, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I picked up some of their habits too, which weren't necessarily the most best habits, but as a whole, they instilled a lot of, of belief in my brother and I, you know, and uh, they showed us what was possible if you had a clear vision and you weren't afraid to go after it and work hard. And uh, I'm very grateful for having that work ethic instilled in me from a young age because it's, it's certainly served me very, very well, uh, especially dealing with the hard stuff in my life too, the big changes because of the work ethic willing to roll up the sleeves and just get after it. Oh man. And, uh, that was, you know, thankfully my, my parents, my heroes, uh, from early on, uh, did that for me. Awesome. You know what? what Great conversations and connecting with people. Um, like I, I, I love speaking. I, I really do. I, I, I knew early on that I wanted to make an impact, but being someone that dealt with social anxiety and a lot of the stress and, and, being naturally introverted, uh, it was always that big challenge in front of me. And, and so I knew that. But as I became more confident and, and started to work on certain basic skills and my own mindset, uh, I realized that I can do this. And when I do it, I can be pretty good at this. I can really help people. I can make an impact. I can, and, and that uh, really gets me excited. Just the idea that just with my words and how I show up for people can be enough to just impact them in such a positive way. That, that they'll start to see results in other areas of their life that they've always wanted to. And, and so that, yeah, that gets me really fired up. Nice. Uh, we'll you know, you my wife and I have had conversations on this, actually. It's really funny that you, you asked this question because uh, most recently, I mean, we were talking about just frustrations with just narrow-mindedness, you know, it's just being closed off to, to the potential of, of seeing things from a different perspective. You know, um, that really drives us nuts. Uh, I, I mean, we could call it ignorance as well, but I, th I think it's it's more systemic than that. You know, it's it, there's usually some underlying issues of why we're like that. And, and believe me, I found myself in periods of my own life being like that. And uh, I do know it's something that we can change. But uh, I, I notice as I've been aging, my tolerance has really dried up. <laughs> you know? I'm like, no, I can't entertain that. And and <laughs> what we've experienced in this last year, you know, just yeah. not only the the global landscape and i'm even talking about the political landscape in most countries like it's just whew, it's been a tough year man tough year and so uh yeah that that really rubs mm -hmm. me the wrong way yeah okay what is your favorite sound Ooh, favorite sound you know i i do love the sound of the ocean it's probably also why i moved to vancouver from ontario uh, lake ontario is one of the the great lakes and 
I don't know why it's Great Lake. It's not that great, but <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a big ass bowl. And uh, it, it was okay, but not like the ocean. You know, I knew I always wanted to be in the mountains. I, I love walking through the woods, hearing the, the trees rustle, but I also just love the sound of running water and water lapping up against the beach. At least that, that, you know, that sort of repetitive waves, you know, that lapping sound. Like, I, that just, for me, every time, it, it instantly, I can feel my blood pressure drop instantly. You know, it doesn't matter what mood I'm in, it just calms me. So it's easily one of my favorites. Nice. What is your well, least favorite sound? And this is kind of weird. And I, I my wife's called me out on this before because I love to drive. Like I like when we were road tripping, I loved it. I love driving. Like I just, I really enjoy driving. I just, I do. For me, it's meditative, you know? I, and of course, I don't close my eyes, but uh, it's, it's meditative, you know? Like I just, I feel really calm. I like exploring new sceneries and just taking it all in. And uh, yet I hate the sound of traffic. <laughs> so you know it's like figure that one out right like if, you know i live downtown vancouver and we're a smaller city it's not like a massive metropolis or anything but we still have enough traffic that uh you know it can be there and sometimes it's i've become conditioned again to to sort of tune it out but when there's a lot of it and especially big trucks and that i really don't like it it it, it gets me a little bit uh well, let me just say it, it does the opposite of what the waves do <laughs> okay <laughs> Yeah, it does. It does at times. <laughs> Get, yeah. Gets the blood pressure up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what is your favorite uh, well, quote or saying? This one was said by Nietzsche, but uh, I, I didn't realize it was said by Nietzsche until I read the book um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which is really interesting because today is actually the Holocaust Remembrance Day. So um, that's really weird that that question came up, actually. I'm just thinking about that right now. Um Viktor Frankl uh, was a doctor, a psychologist that survived uh, four concentration camps, and one of which was Auschwitz, you know, easily one of the most, uh, well, easily, I mean, they were all bad, okay, I mean, I'm not going to say one was better than the other, but it was, it's the one that we often hear about, right, and, uh, but him surviving that experience and, and mm -hmm. uh, experiencing so much loss uh, was still able to observe the humanity aspects that weren't taken by the Nazis and some of the persecution that they, they faced as a, just during that time. And, and there's a quote that he shares, and it's, with a strong enough why, we can endure any how. And I always resonate with that. I mean, we hear a lot of people talk about, know your why, start with why, right? If you look, think about Simon Sinek, and, and I love that too, don't get me wrong. But that idea of like, when you're really truly connected to that purpose and that meaning and that fulfillment, you'll figure out how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Like you, we can endure anyhow, you know, and it, when it, from his context of what he wrote in that book. And, and if anybody's uh, looking for a great read, it's a phenomenal read. Now it's not easy reading. Uh, the first half of the book's quite graphic and it, it documents what he experienced during that time, during the war and, and the, the camps. But the second half talks about logotherapy, which he's considered the grandfather of. And uh, that's all about defining meaning in our lives to really give us clarity and to, to work through any challenges. And, and that's why I love that quote. It really captures that uh, to, to a T, you know, so with a strong enough, why we can endure anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I like that. One. I like that one too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in a few words, what should a dad be? 
Well, I was going to say be everything, uh, but it, it also depends on from whose perspective. And when I think about a dad and, and their initial responsibilities to their family, especially their children. Uh, and, and so when I think about it from that context, uh, for my kids, I, I need to be that support mechanism for them. You know, I, and, and I don't go as far as saying I need to be a friend. I, I do believe I'm a friend, but first and foremost, I'm a parent. I'm there to, to, to try to protect them, try to, to inspire them, to educate them, to motivate them. Uh, but like my parents were for me, I want to be that hero to my girls. You know, I really do. I want to set the bar high. I want to be that man, <laughs> you know, show them what's possible and, and allow them to, to set the bar high for themselves, you know, in their own lives and uh, whatever partner that, that they may uh, end up spending their life with, you know. Um, so, so to me, those, those are all important. Yeah, I, I agree. And put in a few words, which well, not be. Absent, you know, ignorant, um, dismissive. Mm. Those are all terms that come to mind first and foremost, because uh, I've, I've seen that in myself. I'm uh, just being honest with you, you know, and uh, I never, ever felt good when, you know, displaying those types of, uh, of aspects. Uh, and, and those are things I've, I've consciously been making an effort to, to constantly work through and improve on and, and not have happen. So yeah, those are, are, are certainly some of those uh, would, would be the words I would use to say what a dad shouldn't be, you know? Yeah. If you could try any well, with all the SpaceX talk, uh, I gotta say, I would love to be an astronaut. I really would. I think, wow, <laughs> that, that, what, what an experience! Now, I don't have fifty-five million to buy a spot on the the next uh, flight, but you know what? I can dream. <laughs> but I would absolutely love that. I think being an astronaut. Oh my <laughs> goodness! Like you talk about exploring the unknown. Uh, that is whole next level you know it's also because i'm a sci-fi buff so i i just i love that aspect of space and the universe and just the sheer magnitude of what's possible and uh so yeah that's definitely one that uh would resonate with me and then yeah. next to that would probably be a mad scientist you know someone that invents time travel that'd, that'd be really cool <laughs> <laughs> nice and finally what would you be looking God, for? oh man this is so good because Jim, have you ever read the the poem "The Dash"? Have you heard of the Dash? There's there's a it's a beautiful poem, and uh, if you you know I'll have to no. Google it or I'll, I'll no. shoot you a link to it. But those that are listening, that the Dash is just a it's a poem that talks about you know when when we we live we we're born and then we die, right? There's this human experience. We we all can agree on that. We are, we're all born <laughs> at some point, and then we leave, you know, to whatever that next leg of the journey looks like. But when we think about the tombstone. You have two dates, but there's a dash between the dates. And the idea of that poem is, what does the dash say about you? What would the dash stand for? So you, you asking that question, it just reminded me of that poem. Um, I, I just want to be remembered as someone that helped people see that they can improve, you know, that they could be better, that they don't have to limit themselves, that they can literally be more, you know? And I think we all have that potential in us, but somewhere along the line, Life happens, man. It just happens. And, and it can be hard, really hard and feel very lonely. And uh, I want to be remembered as a guy that helped us all be more connected, help us see what's possible, but also 
embrace it. Even though we may not know what to do next, we're still embracing the fact that we do have that potential in us. And, and if I can be remembered as having that sort of influence or impact on people, that would be a great dash. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Well, I think you'll, it just gives some uh, color to that question, you know, but uh, it was something that was introduced to me by a mentor almost 10 years ago to me. And uh, it's, it's just, it's always stuck there. It's just resonated. And uh, I'm always asking myself, like, you know, what, what would I want them to say at my eulogy? You know, like, what would that look like? What would it sound like? I'd love to be there. You know, <laughs> I, I almost want to have like a, I, I was telling my wife, I was like, you know, if I know I'm, if, if we get to a point and I know that, hey, I'm going to have to pull the plug by a certain date here. Well, I want to have a party a week before, you know, like I want to be there to participate in my funeral. I think that would be really, really cool. <laughs> you know, just have a goodbye shebang, you know, and uh, just see what people have to say, you know, rather than think about it. I just want to be there to hear it. You know, like, that'd be fun. Kind of like a roast, you know, <laughs> but, but a little bit yeah. different. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Fair, yeah. farewell roast. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, Di, tell everybody oh, where thanks, they can Jim. find out uh, Well, I'm you, pretty easy to find, as you, you can hear. Like the name Di is quite unique. It's spelled D-A-I, uh, pronounced like chai, uh, so chai tea, but with a D. So uh, Di, and then my last name is Manuel. And uh, yeah, it's a Portuguese last name, Welsh first name. As I tell everybody, I'm Canadian. It's all good. <laughs> we all mixes up something up here. Uh, but if you go to dimanuel.com, it's... <laughs> great resource. I've got about 1500 articles. As I said, I, I've been blogging and creating content for a long time and it's all geared to just helping people get more out of life. That's bottom line, you know, just get more. Um, but really you, you got to go get it, you know, you got to do something with it. And, and so I just open the door for people and then you got to walk through it and keep walking through it. Uh, that's the easiest way. And then other than that, Facebook and Instagram, just my name again. And uh, I'm most active on those two channels. I'm trying to learn TikTok. My kids are trying to give me the tutorial. I, I still have yet to pick it up. And and I'm new on Clubhouse now. And uh, I, I'm definitely really interested in that platform. So I, I plan to be more active on that. Um, but other than that, if you search my name, you're going to find me. And uh, I just love having great conversations. So So please don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you sharing everything and opening up and, um, you know, sharing those nuggets of wisdom that you've learned along the way through your struggles. And uh, it sounds like you came out great. Oh, uh, Jim, thank you so much. And really, you know, thank you for, for creating a platform that helps us all be more of a warrior dad. Uh, I just got to say, I think I, I, I love that that idea and just the imagery that comes with that, you know, because we are, we're out there and we're fighting for what matters most and uh, our families, ourselves, our friends, our communities, and uh, it's the warrior in all of us. So I really appreciate the time today. And, uh, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I, I've got a, a group when uh, we meet all over the place, but on Zoom right now, and it's called Mentorship Mondays. It's just guys coming together once a week to to share, talk about what's real for our lives, uh, in our lives in the moment. And uh, it's been a wonderful thing. We've been running it for about two and a half years. It's it's nonprofit. There's no money ever exchanged. It's just people showing up to support each other. I just, Jim, I'm throwing that out to you and anybody that ever wants to join, uh, just reach out and uh, you, you feel free to tap into that community. But we, we've got them on the East Coast, West Coast. We got one in the UK, one still going on in Southeast Asia as well, and one to be soon in Australia. So we pretty much got all the major time zones covered. So there's it's, there's access there. So if you're a dad, you're a, a you're a dude that's just looking to to align with guys of like mind and 
uh, I just wanted to put that out there. I, I'd feel remiss if I didn't at least bring that up uh, and put that out there, Jim. So um, uh, I also have a TEDx talk in April of this year, and I'll be talking about that specifically. So um, more on that later. But uh, yeah, yeah. That's Thanks. awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes too. So uh, any links or anything like that. Awesome. We'll, Thanks uh, again, Jim. We'll I mean, so amazing everything that, that you're that doing. Awesome. And I really look forward to having another conversation with you as well as uh, I'm just going to say this here. So I'm on the record. Uh, I'm finally getting around to making my own podcast and uh, I can't wait to have you on mine. <laughs> I don't know if I'll have all those 10 questions, but I'll definitely have some questions for you. <laughs> and uh, I'm just looking forward to learning more about you and your story and your family history and just man, all the things that you got going on that you're excited about. So uh, Mark, make make note of that, planting the seed. You'll, you'll be hearing from me soon to, to schedule that. Oh, I appreciate that. I, definitely, I can't wait, man. Uh, this is going to be awesome. Awesome. Thanks again, Jim. <laughs> yeah, you as well. See you again. Bye-bye. Yeah, man. Have a good day. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, please subscribe, leave comments, and share it with someone you think would benefit from listening as well. Thanks again, and keep on being a Warrior Dad.